Hello, and welcome back to Tectonic, a podcast that looks at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. Last week, I talked to the Executive Director of a US initiative that brings civil society groups into a debate with tech companies about the impact of AI-based technology on our societies. This week, we hear from a cybersecurity expert about the priority business leaders are now giving to the threat posed by cyber attacks. That used to be nation state against nation state. Now we're seeing nation state level attacks aimed at corporate networks. And these corporations haven't had to deal with a level of nation state threat actors before. That was the voice of Nicole Egan, chief executive of Darktrace. She came into the studio to talk to me about the way her company uses artificial intelligence to identify and respond to cyber threats. So welcome to the studio, Nicole. I wondered if we could start by understanding a bit more about the history of Darktrace. When did the company begin and what is your purpose? We started the company in 2013 and it was founded by mathematicians out of the University of Cambridge who are focusing on how to apply artificial intelligence to real world problems. And one of the large problems that we see facing the world today is cyber defense and We felt that the evolution in artificial intelligence could really make a difference to help solve the problem. And how are you applying artificial intelligence to solving this problem? Well, it's quite interesting because we actually felt that there were a lot of different security methods out there in the market, but most of them were really defending the perimeter of the network. They were trying to keep the bad guys out. And what we learned, especially from the insights of cyber experts from GCHQ and MI5, was that maybe you have to look at the problem a different way. Maybe we have to assume the bad guys are going to get in, or maybe it's an employee and they're already inside. So we took an approach that actually emulates the human body's immune system, and it works extremely well. If you think about the immune system It has an innate sense of self, and most importantly, it understands not self. So occasionally, even though we have skin, bacteria or virus might get inside, but our human body's immune system quickly detects it and responds. And that's exactly how Darktrace works. Can you explain that in a bit more detail? I'm still struggling to see the parallels between the immune system and a computer network. Absolutely. So in a computer network, we actually install our software usually installs in less than an hour. And the artificial intelligence has no prior knowledge of this network. And it automatically starts analyzing the network traffic. And it builds up what we call a pattern of life of every user and every device. And it uses that pattern to figure out how people normally operate inside that business. What it then does is all of a sudden, if something starts to behave abnormally, it can immediately detect that and decide to actually take action. So you're looking for anomalies in the system, really? Anomalies are a big part of what we're looking at. And the reason that's interesting is because not all threats are pre-known. That was another approach to the problem that some vendors took, which is they tried to create a list of all prior known attacks. And you could look at it and say, well, why not use artificial intelligence to analyze all those historical attacks? Well, the reason is, It's so easy to change any single line of code and attack, and now it's different. 
or to come up with new novel attacks. And that's why when we see these breaches continue to happen, even though companies have invested millions of dollars in security, it's because the attackers keep getting more and more clever and the attacks keep changing. I mean, this must be quite unnerving to a lot of the companies that you're working with if the argument is that, well, there's nothing we can really do to stop the bad guys from coming in and accessing the systems. We're just going to kind of monitor what they do when they get there and then we can close them down. That's leaving you kind of naked before some of these hackers, isn't it? Well, I think what's real interesting is there's a number of reports out there that show that the average attackers inside of networks for upwards of 100 days. And so you actually have time on your side to be able to detect them. But in other cases, we've seen very fast-moving attacks. Malware such as ransomware, WannaCry was a great example of that, is something that spreads very, very rapidly. And even in those cases, we're seeing, and there's a whole emerging category called autonomous response. We hear of autonomous vehicles, and autonomous response just means the network can defend itself, and it can do that in near real time. So we're seeing even in those fast-moving attacks that we're able to stop the attacker in its tracks before any real damage is done. Can you give us some examples of what are the most devious ways that hackers have got into systems? Well, I think there's a couple examples that come to mind. And one whole area that's increasing the attack surface is called Internet of Things or IoT. And so now what we're seeing is attackers will actually scan a network and they'll look for these IoT devices that are unprotected. And in one particular case, a scan was run. It was of a casino and it actually found an internet connected thermostat inside a very advanced, sophisticated fish tank. Once the attackers found that internet thermostat, which was not secure, they were able to use that as a foothold into the network. They then jumped on the network and looked around for the high roller database because that's really the crown jewels in a casino is the high roller database. They were able to locate part of that database. They then wanted to move that up to a cloud. Now, what's interesting about that is it wasn't an ever seen before attack. No one knew to write a rule to say that the thermostat couldn't connect to the high roller database. And yet Darktrace's artificial intelligence was able to spot that and stop it in real time. When we've interviewed people from cyber companies before, some of our listeners have emailed us and said, well, how do we know that any of these companies' systems actually work? How do you reassure your customers that what you're doing actually does stop attacks and people are still not surreptitiously hacking into systems? It's a great question, and it's actually one we rather welcome. In fact, before someone becomes a Darktrace customer, we run a 30-day free trial in their network, and we'll deploy and come back in about a week's time, and we'll show them threats that were already lurking inside their network that had been undetected previously. And so it is kind of the proof is in the pudding. They can see that we're detecting these novel threats that everything else is missing, that somehow got through their firewall and their other defenses. And that's very reassuring to them. And is what you do supplemental to firewalls, or can it really just be the sole system for defense? In cyber defense, there is no silver bullet. It's usually a combination of different technologies working in concert together. So we typically recommend that customers keep their firewall in place because, again, that's acting like the skin that's trying to keep as much out as possible. But we'll also see things like antivirus deployed. And then usually Darktrace is a big part of the defense. One of the reasons for that is we're, again, looking from the inside out and we're finding things that are missed by everything else. How big a threat are cyber attacks at the moment? 
It's a very significant threat. And I think it's in many cases, it's now rising to top of the list for boards of directors and CEOs of companies. And I think what's interesting about that is it previously was thought of as too much of maybe a technology-specific topic or a technology risk. The reality is, though, it presents a broad range of business risk. We're seeing with things like ransomware operational outages where IT systems are being shut down in 20 minutes or less. We're seeing in other cases it can be the risk of getting a fine from a regulator. And you know, with GDPR going into play this May, we'll probably see more of that. But also, we see risks from a business perspective. For example, let's say a company is buying another company. Well, you're really acquiring their past, present, and future cyber risk. So I think one of the things we really see is boards of directors in the C-suite understand and know how to quantify business risk. And cyber is just another form of a real business risk. I was talking to the chairman of an industrial company the other day who um, is very heavily reliant on the Internet of Things that you were talking about earlier. And he was saying that his board spends way more time talking about cyber risks than it does about Brexit because they consider that cyber risks is really an existential threat to their business. If they get it wrong, it could destroy their entire business, whereas Brexit is problematic for them, but it's not such a major risk. Is that right, do you think, for a lot of companies? Absolutely, it's right. And I think you had mentioned the person you were speaking with was working for an industrial company. And we don't talk enough about industrial and the risk that that pose, whether it be to transit authorities, water supply, transportation systems, and obviously energy and utility, but also manufacturing plants. So absolutely, we have to protect these critical systems. And a lot of those systems are run by the private sector. What about city infrastructure and a kind of more governmental infrastructure? Are you working with them as well to defend their systems? Absolutely. I think a great example of that happens to be a smart city, which is the city of Las Vegas. The city of Las Vegas took on an initiative a couple of years ago where they were going to put sensors in to try to improve and enhance the experience both for their local residents and for tourists. And for example, they put sensors on every traffic light. And when too many cars back up at that traffic light, the carbon monoxide levels go high. The sensors then change the lights, the next five lights to green. That's just one of many examples of the city of Las Vegas. But they were worried as they tried to create the smart city, they were potentially taking on more cyber risk. And so they actually deployed Dark Trace, and we protect now all the different up to nearly a million sensors across the city of Las Vegas, pedestrian crosswalks. Their 911 emergency response system are all now tied to Dark Trace, and we're actually helping keep that city secure. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Who are the bad actors? Are they criminal gangs? Are they state actors? Are they a mixture of the two? In your experience, who are the people that we should be worrying about at the moment? It's a very broad mix. There obviously is nation state level activity. And I think what's changed is it used to be nation state against nation state. Now we're seeing nation state level attacks aimed at corporate networks. 
And these corporations haven't had to deal with a level of nation state threat actors before. But in addition to that, and probably not talked about enough, could be employees, insider threat. One in five attacks is created because of human error. So it's not always malicious. It can be that a person didn't follow policy or they left a backdoor open in a network accidentally. So there's all different ranges. I think one along those lines that I find very interesting is now with cryptocurrency, we've seen the value of cryptocurrencies ebb and flow, but it's a very attractive area for people to try to get involved with and try to make some extra money. However, it takes a lot of compute power to actually manufacture cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. So we've now seen a number of corporate networks where companies own employees are taking over or reconfiguring parts of their network to actually make some money on the side with Bitcoin mining. I think the most egregious one we saw was actually in a European bank where there was an employee who was his job in the data center was to accept new servers. And this was a data center that had thousands and thousands of servers over a period of time. He basically had stolen 12 of the company's servers and put them under the floorboards in the data center and had built his own Bitcoin mining operation. Now, that obviously is much more of a malicious nature, but we see a broad range of these type of attacks. So it's everything from nation state to employees, malicious, non-malicious to your run-of-the-mill hacker. That's fascinating. So at a European bank, one of their employees was basically using their network to mine Bitcoin. I mean, is that common in your experience? It's actually getting more and more common. We detected it in over a thousand of our customers' networks in the last six months alone. A thousand? A thousand of them. Uh So this isn't just a rare occurrence. What is interesting, though, is the reaction. Sometimes we get a reaction that says, well, is that ingenious or is it criminal? What's your answer to that? Well, in some cases companies have not defined a policy against the use of their systems in such a way. So one of the things it's doing is it's being an eye-opener. So now companies are saying, wow, I guess we do need policies about how our computer systems can be used by even our employees. In other cases, as in the example of the bank, clearly that was malicious. Technically, he was stealing assets or computers you know, from his own company. One of the things that cybersecurity companies like you sometimes do is you have the ability to kind of track back where the attacks are coming from. And I've seen some demonstration where that kind of cyber companies are able specifically to identify maybe a criminal gang in Siberia who are attempting to hack into someone else's network. What do you do in circumstances like that? I mean, is it sensible to go after those people and to hack them back? Or do you think that's a fantastically risky thing to do? The hackback has been so far probably airing more on the risky side. I think what is important is to be able to keep all of what's called the forensic evidence around the attack so that if there is an investigation, that all of the evidence is well maintained. And Darktrace actually does a great job of that. But I think there is an alternative kind of approach. If we start thinking that this is going to fast become an arms race, it's going to become artificial intelligence from the attackers against artificial intelligence on the defense. And so to prepare for that, there's an emerging type of defense called autonomous response, the ability to be able to stop something in a split second and keep it from encrypting data, keep it from stealing data, keep it from altering data. 
And that's, we would suggest, that's where the world is going to go. We're going to have to have self-defending networks and self-defending devices that automatically take split-second actions against whatever kind of unforeseen attack happens. And how good are the hackers getting at understanding what your approach to this is and taking it up to another level and trying to game the system in a different way? Well, I think one part of it is using the most advanced types of machine learning, deep learning, and artificial intelligence. We have our research and development center in Cambridge in the United Kingdom. We have many of the best AI folks developing our mathematical algorithms, and I think that makes a big difference. But even more so, we've deployed now in over 5,000 companies. Every time with artificial intelligence you deploy in another network, the algorithms get smarter, they get stronger, and your ability to share that know-how becomes a lot better. So that's what really provides such a big edge. So when you look around the world, where are the most interesting cybersecurity companies emerging and what are they doing? Our technology comes from the UK. And actually, I think the UK's position on the world stage is a very interesting one because it's one of the few countries actually sees cybersecurity as an export. And we've been exporting a lot of it. But I think one of the things that is interesting, I was moderating a panel a couple of weeks ago at the World Economic Forum in San Francisco, and this topic came up. And one of the panelists actually brought up that you're starting to see people really think twice and ask tough questions about where does their artificial intelligence come from, especially from a cybersecurity perspective. And that gets back to the nation state level discussion because the nation states are a factor in this, I think people are thinking about, does that technology come from Russia? Where does it come from? And this is the first time we've really seen that type of discussion as it applies to technology. And was that as a result of the kind of focus on Kaspersky in particular? I think that probably started the dialogue and the conversation, but I think a lot of it has to do, again, to the recognition that this is a corporate arms race and the battlefields in the corporate networks. And it's changed the thinking about where technology is sourced. I mean, as you're suggesting, in a way, this is a new battlefield. Do you think we need international protocols to try to establish some kind of norms and patterns of behavior in this area? I mean, as you're saying, there's a mixture of criminal gangs, state actors, non-state actors, individual employees who are involved in this. But at one level between the kind of state actors, do you think there needs to be more understanding between what is permissible in a sense and what is absolutely outlawed? Yes, there is quite a bit of cooperation actually already today in that we'll see countries like the UK and the US actually collaborate together when running financial services types of defenses. So I think that type of community, that type of sharing is really important. And I think in cyber defense, it is about community. In fact, we have an initiative called Dark Trace Community, and that is the big theme, is how do you help each other? How does everyone cooperate across private and public sector lines? So when you detect a malicious act against one of your companies, you're able to use that knowledge to help protect the whole of the kind of network of companies that you're dealing with? In a mathematical sense, yes. We're actually able to use some of the anonymized insights from maybe a new emerging campaign and be able to create a new artificial intelligence algorithm and share the algorithm. So you're not sharing the data, you're sharing the math. 
You're right. sharing the know-how. Okay. Now, Dark Trace is one of the fastest growing companies in this area at the moment, particularly in, in Europe. You're expanding incredibly fast. Where are you in your corporate journey, to use that horrible expression? As you say, you were founded in 2013. How have you funded the business? When are you expecting to make profits? When are you looking for an IPO? So it, it's been a very fast-growing company. Uh, in fact, we've already done in four short years over $300 million in contract value, which puts us amongst the fastest-growing business-to-business companies out there. We've also grown to 650 employees and, as I mentioned, over 5,000 deployments. Right now, cyber and artificial intelligence are such important and interesting areas that we've seen just amazing amounts of momentum and growth. And at this point, our strategy is really just continuing to help companies solve this problem, which continues to help Darktrace grow at incredible rates. And where are your biggest markets? Well, in terms of markets, we started the company in the UK. So the UK and Europe remain a, a significant market for us. However, we did expand very early on to markets, including the United States, which the US and Europe are kind of probably equal in size now for us. But Asia Pacific is growing at an extremely fast rate. We also have expanded into the Middle East. We're in Latin America. So it's really not surprising. Cybersecurity is a global problem. So we actually now have operations in 32 countries, and we've deployed the technology in well over 70 countries. One of the things that all AI companies face is problems of recruitment. I mean, there's such a demand for experts in machine learning and AI. How are you finding good employees? I think because of this combination of artificial intelligence with cybersecurity, it's attracting experienced workers, but it's also attracting a lot of very smart college graduates who want to be on that forefront of artificial intelligence. And I think what's really fascinating is that cybersecurity probably is the best example of real world enterprise quality AI. I think, you know, there are other areas we see in marketing, like things like chatbot. But I think in cybersecurity, being that initial application for artificial intelligence attracts world-class talent. Okay, I think we must end it there. But thank you very much, Nicole, for a fascinating talk. Thank you. We'll be back next week with another episode of Tectonic. In the meantime, if you'd like to comment on today's show or suggest any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes, then please email us at tectonic at ft.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast app. And if you write a review, that will help other people find us too. Thanks for listening. This episode of Tectonic was produced by Fiona Simon. Fiona Simon.